Our scripture today comes from the book of Matthew. And we're going to be in the 21st, 21st chapter. And I'm going to read the first uh, 13 verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to any, anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your donkey, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is, the, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know how many of you uh, uh, like the TV show. I'm a, a fan of that TV show, American Pickers. I think we've talked about this before. I, I, just, I, I just love to watch people who go and buy stuff and you look at it and you go, I had one of those and they're paying big money and mine's in a landfill now. <laughs> but to, to watch that, that happening, I, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I enjoy those kinds of shows. And, and I was watching, um, as I've watched many episodes over the years, because they've been around a long time now, um, one of the things that, that uh, they say really strikes me. It, it, I find it really interesting. There's a, uh, when they're trying to buy something, the, the, the guys are trying to buy something from a seller, and uh, they find that this seller has kind of a strong attachment to it. You know, it's something that they've had in their family for generations or something that, that was a, a, a part of a family gathering or, or an event that took place. For some reason, there's an emotional attraction to it and, and holds deep memories. And one of the things that they'll say to them is, I'm not trying to buy your memories. I always like that line. I'm not trying to buy your memories. I know that this, this object is important to you, that it, that it has meaning to you, and, and I'm not trying to buy away the meaning. I'm not trying to take that away. Because memories, uh, they connect us to, to uh, things and places and people and, and relationships and moments. And, and, and memories, uh, they are powerful uh, for us. And, and these things and places and moments are, are powerful evokers of those memories. I've even heard that smells, now I've never heard them buying smells, but I've heard that smells are one of the most powerful um, uh, to evoke memories for us. 
these, these objects, these places, these relationships, they're all sacred to us in some way. I remember um, uh, years ago, I was put on the uh, uh, board of directors of the United Methodist camps in Missouri. Uh, the United Methodist Church no longer owns any camps, but I was on the board right when we were preparing to sell um, one of our camps. Some of you will remember Epworth. Anyone remember Epworth? Um, another, another name for it uh, was Arcadia. That was actually the town it was in. But it was a camp that um, uh, had just fallen into disrepair. They hadn't kept up with it or anything. But it was also a place where people had deep and fond memories. I went there one time with my daughter, my oldest daughter. Um, we went there on a daddy-daughter camp weekend. And... and um, uh, this is the kind of condition it was in. I walked into the cabin where I was staying and put my foot through the floorboards. I weighed less back then. I mean, it was, it was just in such disrepair, and the cost of repairing it, the cost of bringing it up to a, a standard that would allow us to be safe um, and, and sanitary because the entire sewer system had failed, it's just, it was more than the cost of the property, the value of the property. So the decision was made to, to sell um, by the board, but that decision wasn't taken lightly by the annual meeting of Methodists in Missouri. And, and it was a fight, and it was a fight for three years. Why? Because, because people had memories from that place. They, they, they had um, relationships that they had built there. They had, they had faith that had been nurtured there. Memories and relationships and faith. Those, those are what make up sacredness for us and, 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 and allow something to become a, a sacred space. The story I read today from our scripture, um, you're thinking, well, Dave, it's not quite Palm Sunday yet. It's not quite Easter. Why are you reading that one? Well, if you're following along and reading through the New Testament with us, uh, you, you read this scripture um, on Monday, if you've uh, been reading along, and um, this is the Palm Sunday text, and, and uh, this text is generally read the Sunday before Easter but also note that if you are reading along through the New Testament with us, you're going to read this story again in Mark and Luke and John. It's one of the stories that is in all four of the Gospels. Not every story in the Gospels is in all four, but this is one of those that is in all four of the Gospels. But today I want to focus on what happens at the conclusion of this, of this grand procession of palm branches and, and Jesus on, the, on a donkey. And I actually want to look at uh, those last three verses, starting with verse 11 especially. Verse 11 says this, The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus, the prophet. They didn't know him as Savior or, or Messiah yet. They understood he was a prophet. And as, as I recently reviewed an online uh, source uh, about what, what exactly was a prophet back then, um, here are some things. A, a prophet teaches truth and interprets the word of God. A prophet calls unrighteous people to repentance. A prophet may receive revelations and direction from the Lord. 
That's three. We usually think of the prophet in, in the fourth, but it's all four of these actually. They may see into the future and foretell coming events so that the world may be warned. Remember I told you that, that to understand um, a, a piece of scripture, it's important to look at what's going on around it, to look at the context. It's like you were taught when, when you were taught uh, reading as a, a kid. If you can't figure out what a sentence meant, you look at the context around it. And so we look at the context uh, around that scripture. And, and if Jesus is a prophet, as they claim, what does a prophet do? We calls people to faith, calls, calls to account people who have misled people in their faith and cheated. That's the story of the conflict that happens in verses 12 and 13. Jesus clearing the temple. The, the temple meant to be a place of worship and communion with God had deviated from its purpose, its sacred purpose. It was meant to be where people encountered God. And Jesus came to set the unrighteous to account and to call people back to faith. Think for yourself those, those sacred places. And, and maybe, maybe start with just any place that has deep meaning to you. It doesn't necessarily have to be meaning assigned or accompanied with your relationship with God. But, but think of those places and, and those times uh, and those people in your life, that, those relationships that are just sacred. Friends and family and, and, and your spouse or children. Can you picture one of those events or, or places in your life? When I was a, a child, um, one of the things that we would do uh, was uh, my grandmother would have one of us to sleep over at her house on a weekend. And um, when we slept over, then uh, on like on Friday night and Saturday, we would go to um, the jewel box in Forest Park. My grandmother was one of the benefactors of the jewel box, and, and she just loved going there. You know, when you're six, a six-year-old boy, you really like the trails around it. Anybody, I, I'm, I'm seeing blank looks. Anybody know the jewel box? Okay, good. All right, yeah. So if you've ever been in there, the trails around, you really love the trail. Oh, there's a lot of flowers, too. But to me, that, the flowers were unimportant. It was the running around and, and, and trying to play hide-and-seek with my grandmother, who I, I think was old when I was born. She just always seemed uh, uh, elderly to me. And, uh, but then after the jewel box, we would go to the Parkmore for lunch. Some of you remember. Now that place is gone. It's closed. But those were sacred times and sacred places for that relationship between me and my grandmother. That's that sense of, of, of importance because something happened there that developed a relationship. Now think about the places where you experience faith, that level of sacred. Places where you experienced a, a closeness with God, if you have. And, and it could have been, maybe it, it happened in this room or in this building, and maybe it happened in the old Ellisville United Methodist or some other church. Or maybe it happened at a camp. Or, or, or maybe the divine was revealed to you in nature in some special way, at some special place. Maybe it was a mountaintop experience, a conversion experience. 
And it's probably a space that you wish to return to. To go back to time and, uh, and again and to rekindle that experience you had there. And, and the reality is, those of you who have done this, you realize that it's never the same as it was the one time that you had that experience. But that doesn't mean it's less important. It's still sacred space for you. Now consider this. From the story I just read, Jesus uh, God in the flesh, the divine here on earth, wanted to once again clear out the temple and return it to a house of prayer it was intended to become, could it be that God desired to return to that sacred place for that sacred relationship with the people? That this, this desire for the encounter with the divine is also the divine's desire for you to have that encounter, to have that space and that place and that time, that interaction. It's God's desire that you find those holy moments, those holy experiences, and those holy places so that your faith can grow. John Wesley was the founder of, of Methodism, and, and, and in, in it we emphasize the importance of holy living This meant that we find ways to encounter the divine so that we become like Jesus in our lives. It's called sanctification. It's the ongoing process that in that relationship that we have with God, we grow more and more into the image of Christ, God on earth. Not that we ever become God, but that we can be godly in our life. Our journey of sanctification involves continually seeking to make our lives sacred, dedicated fully to God. Jesus' actions in the temple were not a mere cleansing of a physical space. They were a call to justice and righteousness. The money changers exploited the vulnerable, turning a sacred act of worship into a profit-driven enterprise. When we go into our holy spaces, we're called after that to then go out into the world, into the lives of others. The sacred encompasses not only our relationship with God, but our commitment to love and serve others. It's why the Methodist Church not only emphasizes the importance of holy living, but also the importance of advocating for justice and mercy in the world. As Wesleyans, we recognize the sacred responsibility to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And this, this even goes deeper. Once again, I, I, I taught a few weeks ago about studying Scripture and, and the context in which you find a Scripture is important, but also recognizing that the Bible as a whole is part of that context. And so as, as you look at this, this Scripture that Jesus says in, in 20, Matthew 21, 13, my house will be called a house of prayer. In these words, we find an invitation to recognize the sacred presence of God in our lives, in times and places with people who matter to us. But even more than that, 
Where else do you find reference to the sacred presence of God in a temple in the Bible? Well, there's a lot of them. But let me lift up one. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Our bodies are temples where the Holy Spirit resides. When we confess our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we open up our lives to God, investing God's self within us, entering into us, the Spirit of God being present constantly with us that we become temples of God. You don't have to find a right place at a right time to experience the presence of the divine. You are the right place. And any time is the right time. God is with you, in you, at any time or any place of your choosing. If you decide to, to allow God to, to come into your mind. God's always there. We don't have to conjure God up. But we have to allow ourselves to recognize God's presence. To celebrate it. To see the divine in the mundane times of life as well as those sacred mountaintop experiences. All places and times are sacred because God is with you wherever you are. I think this has huge implications for you to consider. First, you can at any time call upon God to be present in your life and he is as close as your heartbeat and your breath. But also at any time or any place, you can be the presence of God that someone else needs. God is with you, always with you. So you're always the presence of God that another person needs. Not that you are God, understand that. We don't claim that. But you can be the presence of God. You can be sacred to someone else. It's a sacred reality of life, a sacred responsibility of life. Jesus cleanses the temple because sacred places are important. But in so doing, Jesus, God in the flesh, establishes that God also wants those sacred moments with us. So God enters into our hearts and lives, lives within us to the extent that we allow. And we can have this constant sacred communion with God at all times and in all places. Sure, there are some times and some places that will be more sacred in our experience because God is there and God is the constant in them and God is always present. I remember after three years of arguing about closing Epworth that there was a pastor by the name of George Bergen. And George was well known in our conference and, and very well respected. And George had a lot of experience with camping. And George stands up and he says these words. I, I remember them clearly. He says, I camped at Epworth when he was a kid. And by this time, George is, I'm guessing, in his 60s. So he says, I camped at Epworth. 
I came to faith at Epworth. I heard the calling to become a pastor at Epworth. I met my wife at Epworth. We got married at Epworth. It's time to close Epworth. What he was doing for us was helping us to recognize that the sacred is more about the relationship or relationships, the relationship we have with God and the relationships we have with the special people from those times and moments. And sure, space is and can be sacred, but it's always sacred because you're there and you bear the presence of God with you. Amen? and amen.